Let's Talk Crypto with Gabrielle Haynes. Hello, we're on with Sunil, aka DevOps fan, who is a member of Igor Capital, founder and CEO at Saddle, and a blood mage at Meta Cartel Ventures. How are you doing today? Doing super well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining me today. The first question I asked you when we just started a second ago, I thought you were anonymous. Apparently not. <laughs> yeah. So kind of the backstory there was, uh, you know, I've kind of been a lurker since 2017, 2018. Uh, generally, you know, love browsing for all the memes and the shit posting and stuff, but I never actually decided to like, oh, what if I try to engage with some of these folks? And then it, like early on in 2020, I think it was like around May, I was like, hey, man, maybe I should just like make an account and, uh, you know, start shit posting um, and, you know, be more of a participant. And, you know, needed to choose a name. Uh, and so that's kind of where uh, I was like, huh, what would be like one of those things where it's like, if you know, you know, uh, but would be like a good joke. Um, are, are you familiar with like the original DevOps 199 or any kind of the, the story behind there? Oh, I have man. no idea. This is pretty good. Um, so I think this is like back in, I want to say 2018, I think. One second, let me double check. Oh my God, this is done. Yeah, I think it was like 2018-ish. Um, this is when the, the like parity multi-sig was what most people were using uh, for securing funds, uh, you know, from a bunch of people, right? Today, people use like Gnosis safes. Uh, and so what had happened was there was like some guy or like person just called like DevOps199, um, who, you know, was probably up to some no good stuff. Um, but it, what they effectively did was they bricked uh, a contract that like all these multi-sigs relied on. And ended up freezing. I think it's like 500,000 F uh, in these multi-sigs. And he posted on like GitHub, like, "Oops, I accidentally broke it," or like something to that effect. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it just kind of lived in infamy uh, since like uh, that all happened originally. And I was like, "Oh, you know, that's a that's a pretty good name. I like the avatar." Although in retrospect, I totally should have chosen something cuter. Uh, you know, like a cat, like CL, or maybe a blueberry, like Loomdart. Uh, but yeah, here I am. So that's where the name comes from. Amazing origin story. I didn't know about that, uh, that piece of Ethereum history there. Yeah, actually, uh, one of the other like kind of groups that I'm in was one of the like, you know, folks were like really impacted by that. So it always has held like kind of a special spot in my heart because I know a bunch of folks uh, who unfortunately were affected. I, I luckily enough was not, but yeah, it's uh, definitely an interesting story to tell. How much money was lost in that? Oh man, I think it's like 500,000 F, I want to say. Part of the eat. Ooh. Yeah. Big that's a lot. <laughs> probably back probably back then that was like $500,000, but now that's like I don't know how much. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, so this happened in July July 27 or no, November 2017. Uh, and oh, yeah, okay. it was 513,000 F. Damn. Yeah. It's like a well, lot. And it was like really interesting because at the time people were like not sure whether the Ethereum community would be down to basically like do another hard fork like after the DAO. Yeah, uh, roll back. Yeah. And, and, you know, people tried rallying, uh, you know, the troops, but in the end, folks decided like, you know, your SOL had happened. So that was, uh, yeah, really interesting to see kind of decentralization at work there. 
Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, that, that, that criticism of the rollback still like comes up till today for these BTC maxis. They're like, Oh, it's not, uh, it's not everything is could be changed. There's no, there's a government, there's a monetary system, blah, blah, blah. But, and, uh, you see, there's been multiple times where there was a, there could be an opportunity to roll back and get a lot of money back out of the system, but it just hasn't happened. And, Every day that goes by, it gets harder and harder because like, it's impossible at this point, just because there's so many different applications and everything. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's an interesting story there. So tell me how you got uh, into crypto in the first place. Yeah, good question. Um, so like many people, I had an experience where one of my buddies messaged me back in 2011 and was like, oh, have you heard of Bitcoin? And I was like, Obviously, didn't do anything at the time, unfortunately, uh, but kind of had gotten crypto onto my radar. Um, you know, followed along through 2015 and, and kind of like the DAO hack. Um, I was like, wow, you know, Ethereum's really cool. And then the DAO hack happened. I was like, oh, there's no way that like they're going to recover from this. Uh, and then fast forward to kind of like early 2017, um, the like market was starting to get a little bit more attention. And I was like, oh man, you know, I've been sidelined for so long. Uh, I should probably buy some like BTC and F. And so that's when I, you know, first originally, uh, you know, picked up some cryptocurrencies, um, got a little bit more involved in like various community groups. Um, this is like when there were a bunch of kind of like ICOs and like pre-sales and stuff going on. Um, were, were you around in like the 2017, 2018 cycle? Not at all. I, I was uh, early 2020. Yeah, that's So yeah, there's actually a really cool kind of story about this. Um, so basically the way all these ICOs would work, right, is in the majority of cases, they basically be like, you know, at some block, it'll open up the sale. You just have to like send either to the contract, you'll be able to like buy. Um, but what ended up happening was kind of like the state of the art for if you wanted to get into these things was you would run like a parity node on your computer. Uh, it would let you basically schedule transactions. So you could be like, mm -hmm. uh, at this block, send this transaction to this contract. And you basically like just schedule that and then like wait. And if you did everything correctly, luckily like you'd get in, right? Uh, but it ended up basically being, you know, kind of like a gas war thing where if you were a whale and were willing to pay a little bit more for gas, you'd end up getting in, right? And all like the like smaller people would kind of get screwed. Um, and so on Reddit at the time, uh, I think it was like RF Trader, there was this like mysterious user called useless syntax. And they came up with this like really, really cool concept, um, which they called like ICO buyer. And so what the idea was, was that what if you like made a smart contract where you had all the people who were trying to participate pool their funds in this one contract. So now you have like one contract that like hundreds or thousands of people have all sent money to. And kind of the innovation they came up with was, oh, what if we place a bounty on the like actual buy call to the ICO, right? So what would happen then is like all these people pull funds and then you get economies of scale from having like all of those people all trying to spam to get this like, you know, one up bounty on the buy call and actually get into the ICO. And so they started running these basically like, they called it like ICO buyer. Um, things for a variety of the different like ICOs um, over uh, over the days. And there was like, you know, a community that kind of like spun up out of this. I think it was like the ICO by our Discord and that eventually fragmented into a, a couple of other communities. Uh, one which is now known as Cluster, which is, you know, very near and dear to my heart. And these are folks that I still see today. And it's like really crazy seeing how far everyone has come, uh, you know, since those days. Uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a wild ride. So what was the name of that community? That you're uh, still involved? Um, 
Cluster is the, the name of the, the offshoot, but the original one that Syntix founded was called ICO Buyer. So what does Cluster deal with these days? Um, I'd say it's like very similar to, you know, like Metacredit Ventures or one of these like kind of like larger investment groups. Um, it's just a, you know, community of like-minded crypto folks that were just trying to, you know, figure out the ropes together. And, you know, a lot of the, the people that I started out with there are like some of my nearest and dearest like crypto friends today. Nice. So you get into these, I like that story, by the way, I've never heard that before. It's like ICO pods, something like that. Um, that's really cool. Uh, so you get, you get interested in ICOs, bear market hits. What are you doing around then? Do you get a job somewhere? What was your, what was your plan? What was your strategy? What were you thinking? Oh man. Yeah. So my kind of like professional background is I, I like double majored in computer science and finance at school. Uh, my first job out of school, I worked at Square for one year and then worked at a failed startup for another year. Uh, then was at Uber for about five years before starting Saddle. And so, uh, you know, like you mentioned, kind of like the bear market hit. And at the time, like a little, a couple of months before then, actually, one of my buddies was looking into starting a fund. Uh, it would have been, I think, like based in Europe. And he was like very interested in, you know, having me participate as like a principal or something. And I like had thought about the opportunity very deeply. Um, but I had like, you know, a pretty cushy tech job at the time. And so I didn't decide to make the, the jump uh, into the space full time. Uh, but that definitely, you know, caused me to like reconsider things when this this time around, I, you know, there was an opportunity to, to jump into the space full time and try to build something cool. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I want to do this. Uh, and that, you know, all, all of those past experiences kind of led up to finally making me make the jump now. And it's, yeah, I have no regrets. It's been great. Okay. So before we go into saddle, what were you doing at Uber? Yeah. Um, let's see. So for the first two and a half years, I worked on um, real-time analytics. Um, so basically like, let's say, you're in San Francisco and you want to know like how many of a particular like Uber X or like Excel there is in like an arbitrary like geofence or like within, you know, a four block radius or you can draw like random shapes. Um, and so this was all basically used to power a internal tool called Summary. And this was the most used internal tool at Uber used by, you know, Travis Kalanick and Dara all the way down to people, uh, you know, that are actually running operations in each of the individual cities. Um, and so I did that for around two and a half years. Um, then I went over to the advanced technologies group uh, where they're working on self-driving cars. Um, and so I spent a, a little under a year there building out um, the first kind of like analytics platform um, for the group, uh, which was basically like these self-driving cars who got a tremendous amount of data. Uh, and it was hard to get visibility into like how many left turns are they making? like other other questions like that so basically building a system that would allow uh you know other folks within the group to easily analyze and answer some of those questions um did that for about a year and then for the last around two years uh, i was working on infrastructure security so there's a bunch of like malicious people out on the internets uh as i you know i'm sure you're familiar with in crypto all the black hats and stuff like that uh that are basically just trying to like steal people's passwords and usernames uh, get into a system, take over their account, and like steal their money effectively, right? And so um, I was working with a, an architect who had basically built a um, abusive traffic identification and mitigation system at like eBay and PayPal uh, for a similar sort of thing. Uh, and so I was basically building that same sort of uh, system for Uber, where I basically I think we got rid of something like 99% of 
uh, failed logins uh, from people who are trying to do these like kind of uh, account takeover sort of things. Nice. Okay. Very interesting. So you're doing a lot of different stuff at Uber. What um, made you confident enough to take the leap into DeFi? Yeah. So crypto has always been on my radar. Um, there's like one particular, I think, interview I watched with like Robert Leshner, um, where he was basically like, you know, it's only oh so often that a new technology comes about that is like a step function improvement versus, you know, what's like currently there, right? So I'm like, you know, industrial revolution, that might've been like manufacturing line or whatever. Um, and like DeFi is effectively that for like finance. And, you know, I, I studied finance in school. I'm not like, you know, an expert, but I have enough of a background to, you know, know about options, futures, derivatives, and like all that sort of stuff. And there's like one canonical case I think of where I think it was like the London interbank LIBOR rate was like fixed by a couple of people, uh, you know, who are just humans, right? And with like crypto, you can design a system where that just can't happen. Like it's just math. And for stuff like that, well, yeah, why do you want to depend on like the fallibility of humans where you can like literally just have a system where by virtue of how it's designed and, and like set up, it will work, uh, you know, in a particular way that you define. Um, and growing up, I always played a lot of like MMOs and like RPGs and stuff. Uh, it was like always super duper interesting to me to see kind of like, you know, you basically have a brand new economy be, being created. Like, I don't know, I played like RuneScape, a little bit of like MapleStory, Rift, and like some of these games. And it was always very fun, like analyzing the in-game economy, seeing where there's like, you know, arbitrages or things you could do. Um, but those are all very self-contained, right? They're like just within that game. Um, whereas like DeFi, you're basically doing that, but for the entire financial system for like everyone. And I just find that to be like particularly cool. Like, and you know, all the innovation and cool stuff that were coming out of DeFi is just like, makes me particularly excited. And I really wanted to be a part of that. So while you're at Uber, you're spending nights or weekends coding oh, some projects. What were you, what were you doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I wonder, like, how much can I say in this in a public forum? Um, so like at the tail end, maybe like the last, like, I want to say like year or so, I was probably working like, you know, a little bit less than, you know, would normally be expected, uh, you know, from a senior software engineer, but, you know, still getting my work done. Uh, but I was basically being like a full-time DJ on the side. Like I, uh, you know, was doing all the yield farming and uh, other opportunities, um, you know, got involved with like YFI really early. Um, I remember I, I tipped off like DJ Spartan and CryptoCat when it was like under $1 million TVL being like, yo, you, you really have to do this. Um, Cause I'd actually been following like Andre since 2017, 2018, when he had first became initially popular uh, cause he was writing code reviews. Um, for for crypto briefing, um, and uh, are you are you familiar with newbie.f? Nope. Uh, newbie.f is a kind of infamous address uh, that like Alex Fennick and some of the Nansen guys will call out. Um, but we were actually working together on uh, launching like a, a competitor code review uh, sort of thing. Uh, I was taking care of all the technical stuff. Uh, he was going to help with like one of the operations and whatnot. Um, or they were rather, uh, but it ended up like not panning out. But that's how like original, and this is when the bear market hit and we're just like, oh, okay. What's like, code review? I have no idea. What is he, I imagine like Gordon Ramsay style, he's yelling at people for their shitty code. Oh, I, don't, I don't know, but. <laughs> I 
kind of, kind of, yeah. Um, it's more like a little bit of a structured uh, sort of thing, right? So you'd have kind of like, oh, how's the code quality? Like, how's the architecture? Basically, how are, you know, different facets of how they work or like documentation, for example. Uh, and so they'd like, Andre, I think would have a template and would basically just go and like, you know, dive into repositories of like new protocols and just get a sense of like, is this well designed? Is it well thought out? Is it well documented? And then would like write all of these things down, right, in a easily like digestible format, and then would publish them, right. And that was a great signal for folks who were trying to evaluate like whether a project was good or not. Um, was like, and it still is today. Like a lot of the alpha I've gotten is from diving into projects GitHub's and like you can really get a sense for like how good is the engineering team sometimes there's alpha leaks for things that they don't expect you to find um and yeah it's like a really interesting thing to do um and has definitely yeah provided a, a little bit of upside over the years uh so i i kind of interrupted your story there you were talking about newbie.eth you were going to do a code review with them that was the bear market and then you were going into oh yeah so yeah that's how um andre had like originally gotten like on my radar right was, was through all that and then in early 2020 when i was starting to get like more back into the scene um he'd released version one of the yearn like profit switching tokens right and i thought that was like super duper cool because that was like a problem i personally had experience of like, you know, why am I manually moving my funds across like Aave, Compound, uh, you know, DeForest, whatever, um, when you could have something that would just do this automatically. Uh, and I thought that was like super duper cool. And he was blogging about all the different problems that he was facing as you try to like scale a system up like that. Because it's like, you can't just like, you know, if you're only dealing with like a small amount of money, it doesn't really matter. You can just go put that somewhere and it won't have a, a real impact on what the the rate is in that particular place, right? But as that system was scaling up from like, you know, a million dollars to tens of millions, to like hundreds of millions or whatever, like you now have to start accounting for like, oh, if you put like a bunch of money into compound, the yield's gonna drop. So now it's like more of an optimization problem across all the different lending markets. Uh, and yeah, that, that honestly is what really got me like really bullish on F. And in early 2020, I was looking at like stuff across DeFi gaming and, and like NFTs. Um, and that seemed particularly exciting to me just because I remember in like the 2017 to 2018 cycle, like there were a lot of like white paper ICOs and, and people building like protocols or products where, you know, there wasn't always a clear use case or product market fit. Um, but then with this, it was like, oh man, like now you're starting to deal with like bank accounts and like things that you see in the normal world where like all this activity is going to be trackable and auditable on chain. Right. And that's why it's been particularly cool seeing DeFi go from like what zero to $80 billion. And like, you can see that like, you know, billions or however many dollars of like notional values are, are, are being traded across all these products is like, there's real activity happening now. And that is like significantly different than I think what was happening in the last cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I remember there was a period where you were really active on Twitter and then you took a long break. What was, uh, what happened? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, so I was actually really, really active on Twitter while I was still working at Uber. I was kind of treating it as a job. Um, you know, some people are just like hashtag blessed, like CL or, or DGen, where they can just like come up with content super duper easily. Um, the, or, or ship post kind of the, the approach that I was more taking was like, writing more in-depth tweet storms about like more technical or like advanced topics that I, I found to be like cool. And those sort of things, they end up taking a lot of work, man. It's like coming up with like a, a good like 10, 20 tweet, tweet storm that succinctly like explains 
you know, some of these more advanced concepts would end up, you know, taking at least a few hours, if not like a day or two, uh, including just like, you know, me drafting the whole thing, running it by a couple of my friends to make sure I'm not like completely missing anything and then launching it. Um, but it was really fun and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, but then at some point I realized like I only have a, a finite amount of time and like cognitive bandwidth. Um, and as soon as I kind of worked on saddle, I kind of had to deprioritize other aspects of my life, like being really active with yield farming. Right. So instead of like trying to hop around all the L1s and L2s and like, you know, try to min max, uh, everything had to kind of just settle on like, okay, we'll do slightly like lower maintenance stuff. Uh, where I don't have to touch it or, you know, be spending quite as much time on it. And kind of the same thing uh, applied to Twitter. Um, although I definitely do expect I'll get a little more active, uh, you know, in, in the coming months. Um, it's, uh, I really love the community. CT is great, man. Even if it's just for the memes and shit posting, uh, there's nothing like it. Absolutely. So what uh, drew you to Saddle? Why'd you get involved in, in that particular project? Yeah, totally. So, um, Again, as I mentioned in like early 2020, it was kind of scoping out different like DeFi, NFT and gaming opportunities. Um, and at the time I found that um, Keep Network uh, was launching, uh, you know, the first product built on their platform, TBTC, which is basically, a, you know, uh, trustlessly uh, collateralized uh, Bitcoin, uh, tokenized Bitcoin. Um, and they were running a program where if you, you know, ran nodes for them, they would basically pay out incentives. Um, and so I got a little bit more active in that community, uh, ended up messaging uh, Matt Luongo, who is the you know, CEO of Thesis and, uh, and of Keep at the time. Uh, and really, we just like hit it off. I was just asking him a bunch of different questions around like mechanism design, token economics, Ponzi-nomics, like you name it. Uh, and he was you know, super duper responsive. Um, and after you know a few months of, of just chatting a bunch, uh, you know he proposed like, oh, you know I might have some, like I've been kind of like working on, on like a potential idea. Would love to like you know hear what you think and see if this is something like we could work on together. And I think this was in around like March or April um, of 2020. Um, and so he was basically like, oh, so you know curve and I had, was a very early curve LP. I had actually. Um, experienced the exact problem that it was trying to solve, or I think I had like 10,000 TUSD or something and had to like change it to USDC to like send for a deal or like cash out or something. And I think I did this on like Qcoin or, you know, one of the centralized exchanges. And it ended up costing me like, you know, 500 bucks or something. And I was like, that seems kind of nuts that, you know, you're paying so much for trading like, you know, two different types of assets that should all be worth the same thing. Um, and that's where like, you know, Mike Ebrov came up with the stable swap invariant and like curve was like super duper cool. Um, but I'd also, you know, seen synthetics and, you know, there's synths have a really cool property where you can basically trade between any synth um, with like a fixed cost up to the size of the global debt pool, right? I think it's like around a 0.38% fee, right? But you can trade like millions and millions of dollars of like SUSD for SBTC or SF. Um, and I was like, hey, you know, what if we just made a bunch of different pools that all had a synthetic asset in them, right? I think the like ideal combination here would be, you know, something that's Bitcoin based, something that's Ethereum based, and something that's stablecoin based, right? And then you basically had a bunch of these really large pools and use synthetics as kind of a bridge to trade between them. Um, and my vision there was like, hey, man, I think we could come up with a, a system where you can now, you know, place really big trades on a decentralized exchange and get just as good execution as you would on a centralized exchange. And so I was like, hey, man, he had started basically building out a, a proof of concept of what um, 
the stable swap algorithm would look like in Solidity. Um, so Curve is written in Viper, uh, which is kind of like a newer Pythonic uh, EVM-based language. Um, it has a couple of drawbacks in the sense that not as many people are familiar with it. Um, and they also re like released it under a very restrictive license, right? So there are, are not actually too many projects that have like built stuff like on top um, of like those contracts. And so we're like, hey, we could, you know, basically re-implement this in Solidity, open source it so that anyone can use this as a, as a building block. Um, you know, and I'm definitely a big believer in open source and being like community and developer friendly. Um, like the way that we push the entire space forward is by letting people, you know, take these little DeFi money Legos and stack them up and build cooler and cooler new things. And that just like doesn't work quite as well if everyone is releasing stuff with restrictive licenses where you can't actually use them. Um, so that was kind of like the, you know, the initial idea. Um, we, as far as I know, we were actually the first team to present on that idea of using Sense as a bridge to enable really large trades between pools. Uh, we participated in the DeFi Alliance demo day uh, and presented uh, our vision back in November of 2020. And so this was before like any other protocol or people had, had mentioned uh, actually trying to tackle that problem. Um, and yeah, in retrospect, we should have been more vocal about like announcing like, this is what we're gonna do. This is our vision and whatnot. Um, and um, yeah, now we, we more recently just launched that functionality uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of all the work that the team has done. And yeah, we're looking into, you know, what's next for, uh, for Saddle. Awesome, awesome. And just to be clear, the idea that I, I think there is a way to do that through Curve now as well. There's some other yeah. functionality, but basically it's very, very low slippage and they don't have to be pegged assets. You know, typically Curve is like, stable coins or WBTC to a different type of uh, wrapped Bitcoin. But this innovation allows you to go through synthetics. And because there are two synths, you have this uh, property that it has very low slippage. So you can basically start with one asset, turn into a synth, turn into a synth on the other side and take out the native asset that you want. Um, yep, exactly. And so, you know, what ended up happening actually was we went through three separate audits before we launched the protocol, right? We work with like Surge Quant Snap and Open Zeppelin and audits take a lot of time. So, you know, we were make because I very much, I coming from a security background, very much value user funds and making sure that like we're not cutting any corners uh, is like our number one priority. And so what actually ended up happening um, was I think Curve announced the beta version of that feature like one or two weeks before we launched and said, this is everything that we're working on. We're just like very, very unfortunate timing. And it was, it was kind of a bummer because I was like really excited about this. It's what I'd pitched all of like, you know, like our, you know, supporters on. Um, and it was just like, yeah, very unfortunate timing. Uh, but yeah, we've got some other plans in store that I'm, I'm very excited about too. Um, what are you excited about? Well, tell me. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, you know, obviously everyone is kind of wondering what are the next steps for, for the protocol. And, uh, you know, we've been spending a lot of time thinking about that and hopefully we'll have more to share in like, you know, the next few weeks. Oh, very vague, very vague. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll be, we'll be looking forward to see what happens. Um, so what how did you get involved with the e-girls i know you mentioned that you had a relationship with g and uh like what was how did you get in contact with them what was the story there yeah totally so i'd actually founded my own doubt uh about like i want to say 14 or 15 months ago or summoned rather uh, i was working with like one of my buddies demir bandalo uh who is like one of the co-founders of encode club it's like a university kind of like blockchain um club and and program they run a bunch of like cool stuff um and this is when i was like talking to matt 
longer about running keep nodes, uh, you know, I was like, oh, like maybe I could start like a staking business where I'll like just run keep nodes for people and, you know, basically take some commission. Uh, and then I was talking to my buddy Demir and he's like, oh, you know, what if we actually try to start a yield farming and like liquidity mining DAO, right? And use this as like the first project uh, to kind of bootstrap everything. And I was like, dude, that's like a great idea. Um, and so we ended up, I think, having around 25 to 30 people. This is how I originally connected with like Peter Pan uh, was through this. He was like, oh man, heard there's this DAO going on. Um, and I think collectively we raised somewhere between two to $3 million um, that were all, you know, supplying as uh, collateral for TBDC as part of like running these nodes. Uh, we ended up actually running this thing for around one year, um, but the DAO kind of failed to reach exit velocity where, you know, Demir and myself both got kind of busy and we had a couple of like internal projects that kind of, you know, we're getting a little bit of interest, but none of them really, uh, you know, took off uh, per se. But that really like kickstarted my interest in DAOs. I really went off the deep end in terms of just like trying to read and learn as much as I could. Um, there's like an awesome, um, Peter has an awesome podcast. Uh, it's called Wizard Something on like with, uh, I think like Gabriel and Amin on basically like how Medical Cup Ventures started, for example. And like uh, LexNode also has like awesome stuff on um, like code is law and how do you actually bridge like the traditional legal world with like DAOs and everything. And so I found like all that to be particularly fascinating. And I think, I forgot exactly how this happened. I think it was just like me talking to like Peter or, or CryptoCat um, and people had floated the idea of like, oh, what if we tried to make a like actual pseudonymous investment collective, right? And so like Peter, uh, Lexnode and, and Amin had started Metacartel Ventures, which is like super duper awesome. They basically have a, a book called The Grimoire, which is like the actual like legalese that kind of ties uh, the like Delaware entity uh, to um, the Moloch DAO, um, right? But in that particular case, everyone has to like KYC and, and, and be, you know, it's like much more uh, true to like regulations and that sort of stuff. And we're like, okay, is there a way to potentially like do something like that, but make it fully pseudonymous? And so there are a bunch of us who like originally were riffing on this idea and then a, a, a telegram group got started. Um, and, you know, like most DAO things, it was like very, very unorganized for the, the first month or two. Um, I think Peter had like made a comment like, oh man, it's going to take, it's going to take us like, you know, at least one or two months to like have our first meeting and like start figuring things out. And he was like totally spot on. Um, but then, yeah, over time, it just like really started vibing with everyone. Um, so right now we're a group of uh, 14 uh, different individuals. Um, again, we're investing completely with all of our own capital. Um, there's a good split between people who have docs themselves uh, and like anons. So like, you know, Loomdart or CL. Uh, but then we also have like doc people like, you know, uh, Eva, Eva Balin from the graph um, or like big, big matter like Dow Molly. Um, and we've more recently started to bring on a bunch of like different interns to help out with like research and other things. Uh, we definitely lean really heavily into supporting projects on like the community aspect of stuff. Um, I don't know if you've had the chance to check out our kind of like insight section uh, on the website, but we, we put a lot of work into, into coming up with like new original content and really doing deep dives on like, you know, new or up and coming, uh, you know, phenomena that we're seeing in the space. Um, and we approach things from a really long-term perspective. I think that's one thing that you're seeing a lot of funds and, and like other investors pop up, especially during bull markets where they're like definitely in it for the quick flip. Right, uh, whether or they'll like, you know, they don't actually have a, like a five or ten year vision on like where can this actually grow and, and kind of be if it like you know, really takes over and eats everything. 
Um, and so when we look at projects, we are like have a very strict uh, you know, set of criteria for whether we want to invest in it under the Eagle brand, right? So whether like, do they align with like our ethos? Uh, and then we also need to get like basically unanimous buy-in um, from everyone within Eagle, right? If there are like are one or two people who say like, we don't think we should do some of the Eagle brand and it's not unanimous, like we'll basically pass. Uh, you know, some folks will potentially still invest as individuals, um, but yeah, it's a very high bar for, for us wanting to like work with projects uh, officially um, under the Eagle brand. What is the ethos? Yeah, well, so I think kind of that like long term, uh, you know, thinking is definitely a really, really big like thing. Um, we generally just want to see the space move forward, uh, you know, in, in productive ways. Um, a lot of the the tech we've been backing, I think, is what we're going to see the next wave of like real activity on DeFi happen. Um, so, you know, a couple of like projects I'd like to highlight are like, you know, Arbitrum, um, for example, I think we're, we're moving towards a very, uh, you know, multi-chain future where there's going to be uh, you know, a bunch of L1s and L2s, uh, you know, I think Arbitrum and Optimism are probably the, the top ones right now, ZK Sync as well. Um, and one interesting thing uh, I've found in Web3 versus like Web2 and like, you know, traditional kind of like Uber versus Lyft or like, you know, stuff like that. Uh, the marginal cost for people to like create a new protocol and like create a token is like pretty negligible. Right versus like starting an actual company and like all the, the stuff that you need to do there, right? So as long as people can just like come up with incentives or subsidies on like any of these new ones or L2s, right? Like they're all going to be worth like some amount of money. Uh, and as long as there are incentives or subsidies, like there's going to be some mercenary capital that is, you know, trying to yield farm that, right? And so I think we're very much moving towards a, a cross-chain future where there's going to be many, many different chains with like many, many different versions of, you know, the typical like blue chips that you find on, on app. Right, and this is where another one of our portfolio companies connects. Uh, I think is taking kind of an, an awesome approach to this. So basically, like, how do you be the glue that you know ties all of these different uh, disparate like chains or systems together? Yeah, very cool. Well, the e girls are a very interesting bunch. Uh, it's uh, it's very cool. So I I didn't realize that kind of it was born out of the idea of having a anonymous uh, fund. Um, so is it is it like uh, is it a legal entity that has these anonymous individuals or, or just not? It's it is okay. Yeah. So we yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there's no real way to work around uh, having to have a you know some sort of legal entity or setup uh, for participating in some of these deals. Uh, so this is definitely you know something that we're still trying to work on and and figure out what the you know the best way to kind of tackle. Uh, this stuff is. We like more recently just, uh, you know, brought on a council that we're working with to kind of work through these issues. And uh, yeah, it's a work in progress. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Is it, do you think, I mean, is it possible to have some sort of setup with anonymous people or just it's like, this is like breaking new ground? I mean, are there other, other examples? Like, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends on like a per project basis, you know, like if it's a DAO raising money. Right, like they are almost certainly totally cool taking money from like a multi-sig or another DAO. Um, but if you look at more of like the you know protocols where they have an actual team behind them, and then they're using kind of like safes and warrants uh, to do their fundraising, where they're actually you know filing these things with like the SEC and Edgar and like all that stuff, uh, it's kind of a little bit harder to work around having a like named legal entity or something that's you know accountable and signing all these documents and whatnot. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I definitely think in the future we're going to be moving towards more of these kind of like DAO first or more like Web3 native fundraises and, and capital raises. 
um, where you're not going to have to have a, a formal legal entity. Um, you know, and I think we've kind of seen this phenomenon with the, the rise of suit, like pseudonyms, right? There's like a bunch of people on Twitter right now that are all pseudonym where they're not doxing who they are. Uh, and, you know, I honestly think that it's generally a good sign, right? If people are pseudonym and manage to build up, you know, followings or influence without, you know, relying on their traditional, you know, kind of pedigree. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. Very interesting. Uh, well, I wanted to talk to you if you're okay with it about where you live, the area which you which you are residing. Um, I'm curious what how the feeling of crypto is there. Is there a good community? Do you feel like there's a good opportunities to for specifically for being in that area? Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm based in San Francisco um, currently. Um, you know, I basically grew up in the Bay Area, uh, went to school in the Midwest, uh, and then came back here after because this is where all the software engineering jobs are. Um, you know, there's a really, really strong crypto community here. Um, you know, there's a great uh, Telegram group that is, uh, you know, facilitated by some of the, the folks out uh, out here. Uh, shout out particularly to like Jane Lippincott. Um, and there's a bunch of, you know, protocols that are all based here. There's a lot of talent, uh, you know, as far as just like Silicon Valley kind of still being one of the best places in like the States to kind of work on tech and, and emerging technology. You know, I don't think that's actually going to change. There was a lot of, uh, you know, VCs or, or other folks who moved to Miami that are, are kind of saying like Silicon Valley is dead and they're just talking their book. I, you know, I don't think that anything is significant is going to change here. Um, and yeah, it's it's been awesome. This is actually like, in 2017, when I was getting started with, uh, you know, some of those uh, other community groups that I mentioned, uh, I was hosting people at the Uber office just for like drinks and stuff. And so I connected with a bunch of folks that, you know, I still call my friends today. And, you know, now that I think we're approaching more of the tail end of COVID, there's definitely more and more events going on. Um, you know, also a part of some like crypto poker groups and like other stuff like that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I have nothing but good stuff to say around San Francisco. You don't feel uh, any big changes? I don't know. There's been a lot of talk about that just generally. I don't know. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, now it's like become, I think, a lot more clear that folks can work remotely. Um, you know, a lot of the, the bigger companies here are either pushing out when folks need to return to the office or completely striking uh, that as being a requirement, um, which I think as a whole is great for the space just because it makes, you know, all of a sudden you can access talent much more easily than having to like have people physically all be in like the same room. Um, at the same time though, there definitely is, uh, you know, something special to being able to work with people physically, um, you know, over Zoom, you kind of miss out on a lot of the like more spontaneous things where it's like, oh, let's go grab a drink or like, you wanna go grab lunch and, and stuff like that. And so, you know, at least for Sato, we were actually have been fully remote um, since, uh, you know, we started the company. Um, but one of the things we've tried to do to kind of, uh, you know, work around that is basically see if we can get together every like two or three months, uh, you know, in person, uh, you know, we went to, uh, you know, the BTC Miami conference, we were also in NYC for mainnet, uh, and we'll basically just co work and, and use those as opportunities to, you know, get to know each other better, as well as like meet more of the wider, you know, crypto community that are, are attending these events. Yeah, I went to the BTC Miami, that was, it was really fun. I had a great time going to the, the conference itself was a bit weird, but outside all the side people, all the ETH people hanging out, that was really fun and uh, definitely worthwhile if anyone uh, has a chance to attend, I think. Yeah, I definitely feel like that's generally the move is don't buy conference tickets and then just go to all of the side events. I learned the hard way. I learned the hard way. Um, 
I want to move to wrapping up here, but I want to ask you a couple last questions. If you had a billboard in the Times Square, highly trafficked area, what would you put on it? Oh, man. Probably just GM and maybe some like Pepe's or other good crypto memes. Absolutely. You got to spread the meme. That's the key. Yeah. My, my probably favorite meme is that like person on a bike where they're like, you know, shove a stick in and then they fall on themselves. And it's one with like Andre and it's like, you know, apes life savings into an unedited contract, like falls over like fucking Andre. <laughs> um, yeah. I could have kicked out of that one. Might, might have to use that. I like it. That's uh you got to blame Andre for something. You got to oh, blame him. I, <laughs> I don't think he's done anything wrong, man. If people are going to treat themselves in the foot, they need to take responsibility, uh, you know, at, at some level. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So how would you like the listeners to take action after hearing this conversation? Oh man. Great question. Um, go use more DeFi protocols, play with stuff. Get active in the community, join discords, start shit posting on Twitter. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, and I think people forget this sometimes, it's like we're all on the same team trying to make Web3 like fucking awesome. And, you know, even if you don't think you can have an outsized impact, like you'd be surprised how much, how easy it is to just like hop into a Discord and be like, hey, I can do this or that and, you know, start contributing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Sunil, thank you very much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Good luck with Saddle and your other investments. And I hope to catch up again with you soon. Cool. Thanks so much for having me, sir.